0: Here's a little spoiler alert, the character we build today ends up doing more damage in a single round on average than any other character I've ever built. So if you think that doing quadruple damage with your character in D&D sounds like a lot of fun, then you're right because it is and you should totally watch this video. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for our favorite TTRPGs. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to build something that you're thinking about playing in-game. With the hopes of creating a character that's both really fun, but also really powerful to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm so glad you're here, so thanks for being here. My name is Colby. Really quick, if you'd be interested in getting a cheat sheet write-up step-by-step guide to help you recreate this character and all the other characters i build on this channel or if you're just looking to lend me a little bit of additional financial support then i would appreciate it if you'd consider joining the channel as a member there's a little join button down there for two dollars a month you get access to the library of write-ups that i create for each and every one of these builds so you don't have to go re-watch the video again or take notes and also it's just a really great way to support me so huge shout out and thank you to all of my channel members couldn't do this without you guys and for everybody else thank you for being here too i truly am grateful just for watching liking subscribing clicking the notification bell ding 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 anyway Those are also really great ways to support me, so thank you, too, just for being here. So, right, quadruple damage, how do we do it? It's something I've been wanting to build around for a long time on this channel. See, there's this great thing about the Grave Cleric, and it's that whenever you use your Path to the Grave ability, it makes your target vulnerable to all of the damage on your next attack or the attack of an ally, right? In that way, it's even better than a critical hit because by making your enemy vulnerable to all damage you're going to be doubling all of your damage including your damage modifiers unlike with a critical hit right but of course that begs the question what if you got a critical hit on that attack that they were vulnerable to yep you double the dice then you double everything effectively quadrupling your dice damage at least and then doubling your modifiers it would be amazing to pull this off in-game right but the only downside is it's pretty hard to just guarantee a critical hit in D&D. You've basically got attacking unconscious enemies and hitting paralyzed enemies. We tried to build around that little trick, paralyzing our enemies, with the Crit Lander build, uh, where I tried to pretend like I was Homelander since everyone keeps telling me that he's my doppelganger. (laughs) But ensuring unconscious enemies is pretty tough to do, outside of the sleep spell which doesn't really work all that well past the first couple of levels of course there is one other way that might not necessarily be a guarantee but it's something that you at least have a little bit of control over once in a while or at the very least you can do things to try to increase the likelihood of it working and that's to be yes an assassin rogue With assassins, any attacks you make on a surprised enemy are automatically critical hits. That's pretty amazing, and when I first read about it many years ago, it inspired me to make my first ever 5e character with some assassin levels. Unfortunately for me, I had a Leroy Jenkins Barbarian in my group that loved to just charge into battle while I was trying to stealth into position, totally foiling all my plans. Freaking Thornock. That said, yeah, the couple of times that it did work, it was freaking awesome, and I would very often one-shot an enemy with that tactic. But that was back before I really knew what I was doing mechanically with 5e. I paired that assassin with a Shadow Monk, which was really cool conceptually, but definitely didn't dish out the kind of damage that i was envisioning anyway i figure maybe the best way to try to get quadruple damage with a grave cleric would be to make them the ultimate assassin because the path to the grave feature as great as it is has a big drawback in that it costs an action to use so if you try to use it in the middle of combat i mean you're going to need action surge if you want to use it on your turn i mean i guess we could like quick and booming blade like we did on the one hit wonder build a while ago but i figure with an assassin i mean you're trying to get into position right you're sneaking up on your enemy assuming you make your stealth check i don't know why you couldn't mark them with the path to the grave then wait six seconds for your next turn and then jump them since the mark lasts until the end of your next turn fortunately path to the grave is a spell there's no verbal components listed to it so it should work now of course it's not going to work every combat i mean heck you might not even be able to pull this off once a day or once every few days even depending on your party depending on your dm on your adventure so before you try to bring this character to any table please 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 talk it over with your dm and the rest of your party in like a session zero to let them know what your character concept is what you're hoping to be able to do in combat etc if they're not going to be very willing to let you try to get the drop on your enemies as often as possible you're going to end up super frustrated most likely with this character and i think the main reason that i've been putting this concept off for so long is because i kind of get reluctant to build characters around things that only really work in specific situations like some of the time i like things that are reliable that's why i've done more sustained dpr builds on this channel than any other kind of character, right? I like things that I can control, or at least mostly control, when it comes to my role-playing game mechanics. But I mean, building a character around the concept of trying to surprise your enemies is really fun. It's a powerful mechanic that's built into the game, so it's not something that we should just totally ignore in our character creations, right? And man, when this does work... (laughs) boy howdy <laughs> finally i really love the idea of building a cleric rogue a religious assassin it's totally like leliana from dragon age right the left hand of the divine or ooh, i know DD build number 135 the assassin's creed the, the first few assassin's creed games you were like a religious assassin right i like it I'm sticking with it. So big thanks to my good friend, Randall Hampton, for the fantastic artwork that he came up with for this character creation. He does this every week, as you well know. He's an amazing artist, as you well know. If you'd be interested in following him or potentially reaching out to see if you can commission him to create some art for you or maybe your entire party, I will, as always, put links in the video description on how to do so. Also, let me tell you guys how excited I am about a new sponsor that I have for this week, Magic Spoon. Oh, hey, babe, what are you eating over there? Mmm, I'm just having some of my favorite um, Magic Spoon cereal. Oh, I've seen you snacking on that recently. Is it mm-hmm. any good? It's delicious. Mm. can I try? Mmm, mm. that's good. Right? Yeah. Okay guys, seriously, I am not a huge fanatic about what I eat, but I do try to exercise regularly and like a couple of days a week I'll try to have like a low carb low sugar day. The problem is I freaking love cold cereal. I'm willing to bet that probably like about 90% of you watching this video right now I like to have a bowl of cereal like every night before I go to bed. And yeah, it's kinda hard to have low carb days when you're having a bowl of cereal every night. Well, a couple of years ago, actually, I discovered this company, Magic Spoon. Their cereal has like 13 to 14 grams of protein per serving, which is actually a ton for cereal. And it only has four to five grams of net carbs per serving, which is amazing. More incredibly, it has zero sugar. Naturally, I thought it wasn't going to taste very good, but I bought some anyway to try it out, and I was amazed at how good it tasted. It seriously reminds me of like my favorite cereals growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons. So naturally, when they reached out to see if they could sponsor a video, I was like, uh, yeah, and could you just pay me in cereal? <laughs> This one right here is my favorite, it's cocoa. It even leaves like a little bit of chocolatiness in the milk afterwards, so when you're done, you can just like have some chocolate milk, which is the best. But they have a ton of other amazing flavors. I like to mix this with peanut butter, so you get a little chocolate peanut butter going. They have fruity, frosted, maple waffle. Blueberry muffin, tons of really good ones. Anyway, you guys should totally check them out. There's been a little QR code down here that I've had up. If you scan that or just go to magicspoon.com slash d4, if you do that, I'd appreciate it because then they know that I sent you. When you use the promo code d4 at checkout, you'll get $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that they have a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it, for whatever reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. So you've got nothing to lose. Go check them out. See for yourself how yummy this stuff really is. Big thanks to Magic Spoon, and let's jump into the build right after I finish this bowl of cereal. (laughs) All right at level one yes we are going to start off here as a rogue and i should say that yeah, naturally, this character is going to be a burst damage build, and that even though we're not going to end up with a ton of rogue levels by the time we get to the end, I do think of them as primarily a rogue when it comes to being good at sneaking, lockpicking, disarming traps, scouting, etc. And so I definitely want to start rogue here to get as many skill proficiencies as possible, to get our utility up to snuff as soon as possible, etc. But also, word of warning, this character is going to be an absolute abomination when it comes to multi-classing we're taking no fewer than five classes on our journey here and I was tempted to take a sixth honestly or maybe even a seventh if we were going to level 20 I probably would have at least gotten to six so if this is a problem for you or your DM you can potentially do what I and a lot of others in these situations do and say look my character is not a rogue." x cleric y other classes z right multi-class character it's a custom class that i've just designed i'm calling it the hand of the divine or the illuminati agent or whatever that just so happens to have a variety of levels in a few different official 5e classes in order to flesh out the concept hopefully that works for you regardless our champion, when we first meet them, has, I think, been brought up for their role as one who does the dirty work of their church so that the higher-ups can sleep at night from a young age, trained first and foremost in the arts of subterfuge, stealth, sabotage, and, yes, eliminating those who would threaten the greater good quietly, quickly, efficiently as for our race we are never going variant human or custom lineage again <laughs> that's a lie don't believe him right so this character is going to also be the maddest character that i have ever built multiple ability score dependent right for reals As a result if we don't go half elf here we're going to be in serious trouble with our ability scores we need every single one of the increases that half elves give us so let's take them as for the sub race of half elf here i think i'd probably go drow personally i mean they kind of fit the mold in the lore comfortable in the dark maybe more willing to operate in moral shades of gray with drow you get some useful spells dancing lights fairy fire and darkness though with fairy fire and darkness you can unfortunately only cast those once per long rest even if you get spell slots later which we will I'm sure that if the sub race was released today that would be different and maybe you could use that argument to convince your DM to let you use your spell slots for those spells later if you wanted to try but Since they're both concentration spells, and we are going to have use of our concentration otherwise, not too worried about the once a day rule, I figure they'll come in handy once in a while. If those spells or that character story doesn't interest you, I'd probably just go Wood Elf for the extra 5 feet of move speed. Plus, I just... Really love wood elves. They're my favorite. And sure, I mean, if the Ravnica sub races are allowed at your table, knock yourself out, I guess. They're definitely more powerful sub race options than most, thanks to all the spells they add, but I tend to assume that most tables don't allow those sub races, the mark of X, right? Unless you're specifically playing in that setting. I don't know as for our ability scores i'm assuming the point by method as always and so recommend that we go a 15 dexterity and take our plus two there then a 13 strength an 11 constitution and take one of our plus ones there a 13 wisdom and our other plus one there and then a 13 charisma like i said we are crazy foaming at the mouth mad here and yeah only a 12 constitution just kind of makes you clench your cheeks a little bit but we've got lots of multiclassing to do and lots of ability score requirements to meet in order to get there so here we are I've never had a problem with glass cannon builds before, I don't know why it would bother me now. As for our starting equipment, I'm going to recommend that we go the gold by method, as I very often do, and say let's pick up two short swords, or scimitars if you prefer a little flair to your short swords, studded leather, thieves tools of course, other, you know, necessities you may have. But then at Rogue One, we get Thieves can't. Yes they can. <laughs> which is just a way for thieves to communicate to one another in writing using super secret code words that you have to have a decoder ring in order to decipher. Then we get expertise, and this is the thing that makes me feel pretty good about our ability to be at least a decently useful rogue scout, right? Since it lets us take two of our skills that we're proficient in, or one skill and thieves tools, and then double our proficiency bonus with them. And I kind of think you absolutely have to go stealth on this build. And And then I'd probably go Perception, I think, to help you see those traps and hidden doors a little better. I'd love to take Thieves' Tools too, it's kind of a tough call, but we'll be bumping our dexterity, thus benefiting Thieves' Tools, and not our Wisdom, which we need for Perception, right? So yeah, I'm probably going Perception here. And then, yes, as a Rogue One we get Sneak Attack as well, which tells us that, so long as we are using either a finesse or ranged weapon, and either have advantage on the attack, or are attacking an enemy, who has one of our allies next to them when we hit we can add 1d6 of damage once per turn and while that may not be a lot it does scale with rogue levels and more importantly for this build i want you to think of every time we get to add a die of damage to our attack it's like we're adding four dice of damage instead because that's what's going to be happening on our nova round assuming that we've got our enemy surprised of course right and so yeah every die of damage really makes a big difference at level two we get cutting action which lets us use a bonus action to disengage dash or hide and let me say this about this character during our nova round and especially when we get surprised, of course we are going to do more damage than like a comet falling from the heavens. But outside of that, we're really not going to be doing a ton of damage. So, i 100% imagine this character kind of being a bit of a skirmisher, a hit and runner who's maybe even offering some backup support and buffing mixed in with like dancing in, slashing for some sneak attack damage, then scurrying to safety, right? For that reason, actually the wood elf extra move speed might be the better option for subrace here. Regardless, i do think we'd be using cunning action quite a bit on this character. At level three, first up sneak attack goes up to 2d6 which is wonderful and then we get that all-important subclass the roguish archetype and yes we're going assassin like I've said as an assassin we get proficiency with the disguise and Poisoner kits I certainly hope you get to use them someday and then the one and only assassinate which tells us that first of all we have advantage against any enemy who hasn't gone in combat yet So that's nice. And then also, yes, any successful attack made against a surprised creature is an automatic critical part one of mission 4x is complete i hope you're working on your stealth technique at level four we get our first ability score increase or feet and you knew where i was going the minute i said half elf, right i mean we have a 17 dexterity and now we almost always have advantage on at least the first round of combat which for us will of course mean the most important round so yeah of an accuracy it's a half feat so now we have an 18 dexterity fabu and also whenever we make an attack with dexterity wisdom intelligence or charisma and have advantage we get to roll three d20s instead of two now to be honest this feat Tends to actually be a little more powerful on crit fishing builds or those taking a minus five to hit penalty from Great Weapon Master or Sharpshooter, right? I'm just going to assume when I do the damage report that we have our enemy surprised, since that's kind of the whole point of this build. So it's not really helping us to crit fish because we're just gonna crit if we hit them, right? And we aren't getting Great Weapon Master or Sharpshooter still we're putting the vast majority of our eggs in a single basket the quadruple damage basket i want to do everything in my power to make sure that when we get that glorious golden opportunity for surprise that we don't miss that biggest attack we'll be making so i'm still really happy to have three dice to roll instead of two thank you very much but at level five with assassinate and elven accuracy under our belt I think it's time for our more formal religious training to begin. And yes, that means taking cleric levels. And as a cleric one, the first thing we get is our subclass, our divine domain, and yep, like I've said, we're going grave cleric. At this level, that means we have Circle of Mortality, which tells us that if we roll dice to restore hit points with a spell to an ally who is unconscious, instead of rolling, we just do the maximum amount of healing. That's actually pretty nice, especially since most of the time that you're healing in combat in D&D 5e, you're doing so on an ally who's gone unconscious, right? What's more, we also learn the spare of the dying cantrip, which is normally like, okay, not great, since it simply stabilizes a dying ally. But as a grave cleric, it's quite good since we, can cast it as a bonus action instead of an action and from a range of 30 feet instead of touch if you're out of healing spells this could definitely be the difference between life and death and barely costs us anything so i love it we also get eyes of the grave here which works similar to the paladin's divine sense except it only works on undead letting us sense undead so long as they're not behind total cover we can do this wisdom modifier times per day finally then we get spells at cleric one grave clerics get Bane and false life for free both decent spells Bane is you know the anti-bless causing enemies you cast it on who fail their saving throw to subtract a d4 from all of their attacks and saves problem is yeah they get to save against it initially and our wisdom modifier isn't fantastic so I don't imagine using this all that often false life is some nice temporary hit points though so not bad beyond that I would be sure to grab guidance It's a cantrip that will let us add a d4 to the next ability check for whoever you give it to. And beyond the happy utility it offers, it's going to make our stealth checks and lockpick checks and detect traps checks and things that much more reliable, which is very welcome. I'd also grab Bless here, which is what I think we should use our concentration for, at least for the next few levels. It's just a really fantastic buff, as you probably know, and even if we don't really need the extra d4 to hit that it gives us, like during our Nova round, it will help a smidge, and it'll help our allies even more, to say nothing of the benefit that we all will get from it on our saving throws, right? And that extra hit chance will definitely come in handy, especially when we don't have advantage. Now, admittedly, our concentration checks aren't going to be anything to write home about on this character, so holding on to that concentration mm, might not be super reliable, but hey at least the blessed spell will help us make our concentration checks, so that's something. And like I say, I think after our Nova round, we're hitting and running, right? So hopefully we won't be getting hit all that often. I would also, um, of course, be sure to grab Healing Word here as a spell for a nice bonus action heal from range. And, you know, we're going to end up being a pretty decent backup support character on this assassin here thanks to the variety of multiclassing that we're going to be doing at level six we'd be a cleric two and at cleric two all clerics get channel divinity which we can use once per short rest to do one of three things first turn the dead That lets us force undead within 30 feet of us to make a wisdom saving throw or spend their turns running away from us for the next minute. Very powerful when you need it, and it works. We also could harness divine power, which lets us regain a spent spell slot, essentially. But most important of all, and unique to grave clerics, we get, yeah, Path to the Grave, which is part two of our quadruple damage quest. So yes, as an action, we can mark an enemy for death. We simply have to see them and they have to be within 30 feet of us this mark lasts until the end of our next turn so yeah like i've said i see no reason why you couldn't approach your enemy silently mark them for extinction and then run in and attack them on your next turn surprising them and starting combat that's what i'm going to assume is happening when i discuss tactics in our first damage report so Yeah, tactics are pretty straightforward here. You silently stalk your target, and when you're ready, you mark them, wait until your next turn, and then attack. The number one thing that's going to prevent this from working is, well, when combat breaks out without you having a chance to even try to get surprise on your enemy. In my own personal experience, this happens more often than not in DD combat encounters at our table much more often then again I haven't tried to build an assassin for quite some time so maybe that could change set your expectations appropriately and try not to get frustrated when you don't get a chance to try and surprise your enemy as often as you'd like but yeah like I've said talking to your DM and your other party members before the campaign even begins can really go a long way to helping you pull this off at least semi-frequently because Yeah, the number two thing that's going to prevent this from working is your allies. They might want to try to sneak along with you, but they're a paladin in heavy plate with an 8 dexterity. And no stealth proficiency, right? Or yeah, they might be a Leroy Jenkins type who just wants to charge in screaming every fight. Again, work this out with your friends before playing, and if you get the sense that they're going to get impatient with you trying to sneak around all the time, which, to be fair, can really slow gameplay down, right? So try to empathize with where they're coming from and be quick about it if you're going to try and do this regularly. Anyway. Assuming everything has worked out according to your wildest dreams, you will make your first short sword attack on your marked target, and if you hit, add sneak attack damage and your dexterity modifier. Since it will automatically crit, and they will be vulnerable to all damage, you'll be rolling 12d6 and adding 8 on top of that. Congratulations! If the enemy is still standing, or there's another one within reach, use your bonus action for some two-weapon fighting. It's not going to be a ton of damage, but it will crit, so you'll get another 2d6 out of it. I'm going to assume that we've got Bless on here, since we could conceivably cast it before sneaking up on your enemy. But it's not super important and barely impacts our numbers. If it's not going to work, no worries. Just cast Bless on round two. But under the above assumptions, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average here do 57 damage. And against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it would be 56 damage. Thanks, Elvin Accuracy. Okay, those numbers are really good, but... It's not the best in class or anything. It's kind of like middle of tier two compared to other Nova builds that I've done to date at this level anyway. And in case you didn't know, in the video description of every video, I put links to spreadsheets and graphs that show you all of the different Nova builds that I've done, plus a breakdown on these numbers. You said it was the best Nova damage build you've ever built. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. Just hang on for a second we'll get there I promise all right at level seven you know where we're headed don't you we're taking Paladin levels at this point we're continuing to pursue our religious studies but maybe adding some martial training to those studies so as a Paladin one we get the very wonderful lay on hands which gives us five lay on hands points per Paladin level to spend as an action to heal one hit point per point we spend or we could use 5 of them to cure a poison or a disease pro tip use your lay on hand points a little bit at a time they don't reset until a long rest so i'd primarily just use them to bring fallen allies back up from a fight when you're out of spell slots i mean all it takes is one point right and if you use three or four or five it's probably not going to be the difference between them staying alive or going down the next time they get hit go ahead and blow more if you think it will but it seems to me that that's rarely going to be the case and our pool of lay on hands points is never going to be huge we also get divine sense here which we kind of already had but now it can detect fiends, and celestials as well, one plus charisma modifier times per day, which for those counting is only twice for us. It's okay, it's not the most amazingly useful ability anyway. At level eight, we'd be a paladin two, and that means we've reached the promised land. First up, we get a fighting style, and yeah, in the name of damage, I think I'd go two-weapon fighting here, though in a few levels, we'll actually stop using two weapons to fight with, as I'll explain later, so you might want to give up that little bit of extra damage on our bonus action short sword attack, right, and instead take something that will be more useful throughout our career, like defense for extra ac or something like that i'm gonna assume two weapon fighting but then most importantly for us of course is yes we get divine smite here which tells us that when we make a melee weapon attack we can spend a spell slot to add 2d8 radiant damage to that attack and yes for those of us rolling four times the dice when we hit that's 8d8 extra damage that's nice Oh, but actually, it will be 12d8 extra damage because Divine Smite scales by an extra d8 per spell level we spend, up to a cap of 5d8. And thanks to multiclassing, guess who has second level spell slots right now? Yeah, we do. Now, we also get Paladin spells at this level, and you know what? Even though we're already a cleric with cleric spells, this is kind of a big deal for us because guess what spells are unique to paladins? Yeah, the special smite spells. Now, these smite spells, thunderous smite, wrathful smite, searing smite they do generally less damage than divine smite does plus you have to cast them ahead of time and they require our concentration so it's very often not all that advisable to use them unless you really get some mileage out of the special effects that they might bring in addition to the damage right but for us we who quadruple all damage dice you bet your bum we want to grab a couple more d6s so go ahead and grab thunderous smite here and even searing smite though we're going to be using thunderous smite for now they're a bonus action to cast require concentration like I said they last for one minute but then the first time you hit a creature with a melee attack you add 2d6 more damage with thunderous smite which means yeah for us 8d6 on that quadruple damage attack right now there are some potential challenges here again the spell only lasts for a minute and it has a verbal component so you might need to like cast it and then stealthily hurry run in and engage before it expires or maybe your dm might have you make another stealth check if you want to cast it within a certain range of the enemy I mean, can you whisper the verbal component? I don't know. Again, all things to discuss with your DM. What's more, if you hit a creature with this, they have to make a strength save or be pushed 10 feet away from you. That's normally really cool. I might wanna try and build around that fact, but you might not necessarily want them to be pushed away from you in this situation. It also makes a huge thunderous kaboom that can be heard up to 300 feet away also might not be something that you want going on. I, for one, freaking love the idea of scaring the living pants off of your enemy that you've surprised with, not only a truckload of damage, but a thunderous peel to wake the dead. Obviously, some situations might call for more discretion, so if you don't want them pushed or to make such a racket, go ahead and use Searing Smite. It doesn't do as much damage at this level, it's only 1d6 with a first level spell, but it does scale, unlike Thunderous Smite, so it's the same damage if you use a second level spell and more thereafter. Plus, it does light the target on fire, which is always fun, though they don't take any of that fire damage if they make a successful constitution save against it or they or an ally use an action to put the fire out but hey that's a wasted enemy action so i'll take it all right at level nine i want one more rogue level We've got divine smite and rogue five gives us an extra die of sneak attack damage right our sneak attack goes up to 3d6 which like i've said is essentially 4d6 more damage during our nova round plus it lets us grab uncanny dodge which is a really nice rogue feature letting us spend our reaction to have the damage of an attack against us and with our 12 constitution and mediocre ac yeah you're gonna want that okay for our level 9 damage report we have entered the upper atmosphere we've now dropped bless for our concentration at least for our Nova round though I'd probably still be casting it on round two personally in favor of thunderous smite we cast that on ourselves sneak in mark our target and attack but this time we add a divine smite to the mix and that thunderous smite plus another d6 of sneak attack damage then on the second we're gonna smite on that too since it's an automatic critical hey guys just doing a little editing and realized that i underestimated the damage at this level make a long story short i won't go into the details but basically it is going to be 184 damage at a 10 armor class and 176 damage at a 16 armor class which is crazy town Yeah, triple our last check, and beating out pretty much every other Nova build that I've done to date at this level except the Critlander, whose stuff only worked against humanoids, and the Shepherd Druid, thanks to Conjure Animals, which I hate. Okay, we are in some zany territory. Fun! Let's see how far we can push it, shall we? At level 10, now that we've got Divine Smite under our belt, yeah. It's time for class number four we're going sorcerer for a few reasons not least of which is to pump up our spell slot progression as quickly as possible to take better advantage of divine smite granted we could do that with more cleric levels so if you'd rather lean into support capabilities go ahead but of course we could always just go divine soul for our sorceress origin our sorcerer subclass to get access to the cleric spell list anyway so yeah i think we should do that It makes sense thematically, this subclass, and yeah, divine soul sorcerers get divine magic. This basically gives us access to the cleric spell list, like I've said, in addition to the sorcerers, which is really amazing. Granted, we could get higher level cleric spells more quickly by going back to cleric, so there is that, but what clerics don't get is the favored by the gods feature of divine soul sorcerers and i really want this feature it lets you add 2d4 to a missed attack or failed save once per short rest and again on a character who just does so much damage on one of their attacks Having that failsafe 2d4 is kinda huge for those very rare times that you get the drop on your enemy, but then you roll like a 2, a 4, and a 7 on your 3d20s, right? Or, yeah, of course, you could also use it on a very valuable save, or to try and maintain concentration, right? It's just a really fantastic ability. But the even bigger thing for us to celebrate at level 1 is sorcerer spells shield, absorb elements, silvery barbs, all great defensive options, so long as the silvery barbs mob doesn't get too upset about it. But also, the message cantrip is wonderful, for those of us trying to scout ahead and infiltrate. And then, yeah, above all, booming blade or green flame blade for attacks on most builds getting extra attack and attacking twice is going to out damage casting booming blade with our action since even though booming blade will add extra damage to the initial attack it doesn't often surpass the damage that a second attack would do thanks to all the ways that we can add damage to every attack we make right but in our case it's not so cut and dry. Having this quadruple dice thing going like we do just kind of keeps pushing us towards finding more and more ways to add damage dice to our biggest and best attack that ends up bucking the trend that typically leads us towards extra attack. Hence... Sorcerer levels now instead of staying with like Paladin until 5, right? And yeah, like I said, the better spell slot progression pushes us this way too for better scaling on our smites, as well as one other very important thing that we'll get to in a minute. Anyway, for now, we're not actually going to be switching to using Booming Blade with our action. We still will get more mileage out of two weapon fighting since we are still automatically critting on both attacks, right? And can apply a Divine Smite to both of them and have those damage dice doubled that will change before long however at level 11 we would be a sorcerer 2 and that means we get font of magic so yeah we get our sorcery points we get one point per sorcerer level and for now we can just use them to create more spell slots i'm really glad in the next version of dnd they're planning to give us metamagic at the same time as our sorcery points because otherwise it just feels a little weird to me to get points but not really have a lot that we can do with them don't forget though that we do get third level spell slots here thanks to multi-classing for bigger and better smites among other things and also booming blade and green flame blade scale up to 2d8 extra damage on the target we hit with them which will be important to know next level because at level 12 we would be a sorcerer 3 and that means yeah we get metamagic letting us choose two ways to enhance our spells at the cost of our sorcery points and of course we're going with quicken spell first and foremost so that we can spend two points and cast a spell as a bonus action instead of an action and that means that we can now booming blade with our bonus action for that quadruple attack and then sure booming blade with our action since two-weapon fighting isn't going to do us any good anymore since we've used our bonus action right for booming blade it's at this point then that if you could you'd want to retrain that two-weapon fighting style to dueling I'm not assuming that you can. Rules as written, you've got to take another level in Paladin. But I would still recommend switching to a Rapier now for slightly more damage during your Nova round. Unless, of course, you've got an amazing Magical short sword or something. The nice thing about making this switch is that it would allow us to use a shield if we wanted. We gained shield proficiency when we took Paladin levels. And a little more survivability would be nice. As for the other metamagic option we take here, I'd definitely go Subtle Spell. This lets us cast a spell without needing verbal or somatic components and that means we could for example cast searing smite here silently it only has a verbal component making it just a little bit easier to get into position and not give ourselves away if we wanted to add that extra damage on our 4x attack yeah as for the second level sorcerer and cleric I guess spells that we get at this level I think I'd grab aid for a nice hit point buff and heal for you and your friends, lesser restoration to cure lots of bad things, misty step because it's misty step, teleportation is always good to have, vortex warp so you can move your friends around too, or enemies I suppose if they fail their save, but your saving throw DC is not going to be very high. What about shadow blade? I can hear some of you asking, you probably thought I'd go that route, huh? sure I'd love to be using Shadowblade here but guess what it's not actually going to be a bump to our Nova damage you see ever since Tasha's Cauldron of Everything rules as written you can't Booming Blade with a Shadow Blade since the spell now requires a material component of a weapon worth at least one silver piece now I know I know there are lots of arguments about ways you can get around this from component pouches to the cost of spell scrolls etc etc i promise i've heard them all but feel free to repeat them in the comment section if you would like even though jeremy crawford said he would allow it at his table he also basically said that yeah rules as written it doesn't work anyway if you can cast booming blade with your shadow blade at your table then yeah Go for it but if you can't or if you have a great magic sword by now which you very well could like a flame tongue rapier or something then stick with your regular weapon booming blade is adding 2d8 damage to our attacks now and searing smite which requires concentration like shadow blade so you can only do one or the other right is doing 3d6 if we upcast it like a crazy person that plus our weapon damage even if it's not magical far outweighs the 3d8 damage we would get from shadow blade right now even if you don't have a magical weapon sure shadow blade is going to give you better sustained damage versus a conventional blade anyway so go ahead and use it after your nova round if you want to in that case but for our nova round i'd stick with searing smite and booming blade at level 13 we would be a sorcerer four and yes we have now obtained a fourth level spell slot for one divine smite at the divine smite cap which we of course would be using on our quadruple damage attack which is amazing. And then we also get another ability score increase or feat, finally. And yeah, if we're focused on damage and on being the best rogue we can be, not to mention wanting to bump our armor class, then we for sure want to bump our dexterity here, capping it at 20, finally. All right, at level 13, it's time for our next damage report. Since last check, quite a bit has changed for us. We are now using our bonus action for a quickened booming blade attack and our action for a regular booming blade attack, adding two d8 damage to our target or 8d8 and then 4d8 in our case because it's going to crit the first time with pass to the grave searing smite can now be upcast as a third level spell if we wanted to for 3d6 damage we'll be potentially smiting for 5d8 and 4d8 we've capped our dexterity modifier and we can even add our 2d4 to our hit on the off chance that we still manage to miss our target even with elven accuracy's 3d20s oh i'm also assuming that we are attacking with a rapier now instead of a short sword and thus against an enemy with a 10 armor class we would on average do 306 damage now and against an enemy with a 17 armor class it would be 304. i mean yeah for those of you counting at home if both attacks hit here which they probably will we'd be rolling 46 d8s and 24 d6s to calculate our damage So... yeah. We're in the same place as before here, beating everyone but Critlander against humanoids and that jerk-faced Shepherd Druid (laughs) for Nova damage at this level. To be fair, we're actually beating out that jerk-faced Shepherd Druid at the middle and higher enemy armor classes, though the Critlander is still outpacing us a little bit. Now, of course, we only get to do this when we surprise an enemy, so it's super situational, but oh so fun when it works. All right. At level 14, it's time for our fifth and final stop on the multiclass train. You've probably been wondering why I haven't gone fighter yet. And the answer is, like I've said, because of how much our damage is coming from that one quadruple dice attack, it just made more sense numbers-wise to push for bonuses to a single attack rather than trying to get multiple attacks, even though those other attacks were also critical hits. It's kind of fun but now that we have a fourth level spell slot to smite with and quicken spell and booming blade then yes at this point finally it does make the most sense numbers wise anyway to go fighter so let's do that as a fighter one we get second wind which lets us heal ourselves a little bit as a bonus action once per short rest at this level especially it's not going to feel like much but it could be a difference maker for you once in a while we also get a fighting style as a fighter one and sure in the name of more damage I would take dueling here if we couldn't retrain into it with Paladin right it might not seem like much but since all damage is doubled thanks to vulnerability on that first attack. We'd actually get four more damage out of dueling on that attack, plus four more on the rest of our turn, at least next level. So eight more flat damage on our Nova round. That's not nothing. But of course, the main reason we came fighter was for action surge. So yeah, level 15, fighter 2, action surge this lets us take two actions on our turn instead of one once per short rest and yeah we would just be using it for another booming blade or green flame blade attack giving us all that extra damage on a crit adding a smite etc and it's really going to push things to the next level but we're not stopping there because at level 16 we'd be a fighter 3 and that means we get our fighter subclass our martial archetype now You might think that we would want to take Echo Knight here for more attacks during our Nova round, wouldn't you? Well, here's the thing. Unleash Incarnation, the Echo Knight feature that gives us an extra attack, only works when we take the attack action. Lately, we haven't been taking the attack action on our turn, we've just been using Booming Blade. Now, I can see the argument for going Echo Knight taking the attack action instead and getting yet another attack that we can add a smite to but since we don't have extra attack and it truly hasn't made sense mechanically to push for extra attack thus far that would mean one attack and then an extra echo attack and then Action Surge for just a third attack. We couldn't echo on that Action Surged attack action because we can only use Unleash Incarnation a number of times equal to our constitution modifier. And unfortunately for us, we've had to suffer a 12 constitution in order to get where we needed to for all of our multi-classing, right? I guess then with our Action Surged action, we could just Booming Blade. But the reality is this, even with one more weapon attack that we could apply a Divine Smite to, giving up the 2 d from booming blade soon to be 3d8 by the way makes the numbers a lot closer than they'd otherwise be what's more echo knight doesn't add anything to our quadruple dice attack but if we went battle master instead we could actually get an extra 1d8 on that 4x attack which is worth a lot more plus another 1d8 on our booming blade attacks so numbers wise battlemaster is the superior choice I apologize to all you Echo Knight fans out there go ahead and take the subclass if you really want to I did use them in my Vengeance Paladin build and I'll probably be using them again soon but no for us for this character we get more out of battlemaster yet again so Battlemasters, they get combat superiority, giving us four superiority dice per short rest, which are d8s that we can use to enhance our martial skills, prowess, and attacks via various maneuvers. We can learn three maneuvers, and I'd take the following. Ambush lets us add a superiority die to our stealth check, and man... Nothing will be worse for us than actually getting a chance to surprise our enemy but blowing our stealth check, right? So that's a must-have, I think. I'd also take either Brace or Riposte. Either of them give us a chance to make a reaction attack against an enemy, whether because they move up into our reach or because they miss us with a melee attack. And reaction attacks are extra good on rogues since they let us apply our sneak attack damage again, right? It's usable once on a turn, not once per round. We've gone over this. But then finally, I'd grab one maneuver that just lets you add your superiority dice in damage on a successful weapon attack. My favorites being trip attack to knock them prone and do extra damage or menacing attack to make them frightened and do extra damage. We can use one die on each of our now three attacks that we'll be making during our Nova round and still even have one left over for a stealth check or something else. See how generous I am. And then finally for us, at level 17, I think the best way to increase our damage here is to just take another level in Sorcerer. It's not a huge damage increase, but it does give us another fourth level spell slot, meaning another max damage smite if we wanted it. You could of course go back to Rogue, or heck, if you were planning on going to level 20, sure, take more Paladin or fighter levels to get extra attack, and then switch to taking the attack action. I even considered Gloomstalker Ranger here, but at this point, it's just a bit too late for us. Whispers Bard would be good as well, but again, three levels away to get to the subclass feature, right? And it's just out of reach for us. Anyway. The other nice thing about going sorcerer 5 is that it means third level sorcerer and cleric spells so that opens up revivify Counterspell, dispel magic maybe even some fun control options like fear or spirit guardians for some fun sustained area of effect damage after our nova round is over what about spirit shroud you may be asking 1d8 extra damage on every attack looks nice when all those attacks are crits but concentration on spirit shroud means no searing smite on our quadruple attack and that means slightly worse numbers on our Nova round how about haste One more critical attack with our rapier that we could add a smite to, and that fourth superiority die sounds nice, but actually when you crunch the numbers, it's even worse than Spirit Shroud. Again, at least for our Nova round, you very well might decide to go with either of these so that you can be better and stronger outside of your Nova round. And in that case, I would not blame you at all. I might in fact do that if I were playing this character in game. I'm just trying to stretch the limits of what's possible damage wise in a single round, like I always do, you make a better decision for the use of that very precious third level spell slot if you want to. But to be honest, I'm really glad that Searing Smite outpaces all of these other options that I so often use, right? Shadow Blade, Spirit, Shroud, Haste. I use these spells all the time i've never really built around like one of the paladin's smite spells before they're oft overlooked and it's fun to get some nice mileage out of them right anyway one last note at level 17 booming blade and green flame blade get their final bump up to 3d8 damage on the enemy that we attack and so for our final damage report since last check we have increased our smite capacity a smidge we've grabbed action surge added superiority dice damage to our attacks, a better fighting style for our current tactics, and even seen another booming blade bump. Not to mention a wee bit of utility, maybe control options, and survivability to boot one note if you're going to be trying to maximize your damage here you'd be better off upcasting searing smite as a fourth level spell slot since we get quadruple the dice right on that first attack so you'd be using one fourth level spell slot for divine smite one fourth level spell slot for searing smite and then on your two booming blade attacks after that first bonus action attack you'd be using third level spell slots to smite because that's all we've got left anyways if everything went according to plan, on average, we would do, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, 468 damage. And against enemies with even an 18 armor class, it would be 463. And while that might not quite be beating out the Shepherd Druid with their smug 5 billion deep rothae conjured animals at low enemy armor classes, at the armor classes of enemies that we're actually going to be fighting at this level, it's way better. In fact, it's way better than everything. To put that in perspective, if we, by some sort of miracle, managed to get the drop on a Tarask here, we would do over 400 damage to it on average during our nova round that's almost two-thirds of its health even if we then just instantly died as soon as it roared into consciousness which we almost certainly would we would have done more for our party in taking it down than all the rest of them combined we would one shot an ancient green dragon here (laughs) that's amazing so okay let's break it down here with some final thoughts the tier score for this build if you take the average damage that they do at all the armor classes that we calculate for at each of the four damage reports and just average them into one big number we end up with a 234 and yes my people that means we have a new front runner for the best nova damage character that i've ever built according to that sort of arbitrary tier ranking system that i have in place anyway they beat out Critlander by like six points that makes me so very happy and yeah the thing that puts it above everyone else is that elven accuracy advantage that they're always having right that just keeps their damage super consistent even at the higher enemy armor classes compared to other burst damage characters now of course like we've been talking about it comes with that big huge honking caveat right it only works when you've got the enemy surprised but then again critlander came with an arguably bigger caveat in that it only worked against humanoids and even the shepherd druid with that brainless conjure animals tactic (laughs) man where is this vitriol coming from um anyway they were only hitting those big numbers with like a whole herd of deep rothe which as medium-sized creatures would have been pretty hard to pull off in most encounters at most tables, right? It's not until we get to the flamethrower build. I think I'm out of cards. Uh, That's the thumbnail. The current fifth place contender that we have a nova build that just kind of works pretty much all of the time as long as you've got a round or two to set it up at least. Sure. These numbers are astronomical and might of course be too good keeping your dm from ever even letting you get a surprise round off after you do it once because it's gonna piss them off and just trivialize the encounter that they built right i mean hopefully for you anyway they allow it a little more often but make adjustments to otherwise compensate again talk with them but yeah these numbers aren't something that you're going to be able to do all of the time all of that said we made an assassin we knew what we were signing up for We wanted a silent, deadly killer, who might just be kinda okay in a fair fight scrap, but when we can get the drop on our victims, like all good assassins do, then no one is going to hit harder than we are. And that sends shivers of glee down my spine. So that's the build for the week. Thanks for watching i hope you enjoyed it i had so much fun building this character i hope you guys know that i love you you're so awesome thank you for all that you do i hope you have a really great day and a fantastic week and if you don't i hope you hang in there i hope you'll be good and kind and that i see you again really soon but until then take care when i get older losing my hair many years from now will you still be sending me a valentine birthday greetings bottle of wine so check it out my niece her name's sailor she knits and she made me this rug (laughs) is that so awesome that's so awesome if I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Who? <laughs> it's my birthday this week. So, yeah, I'm a little closer to 64 than you might think. <laughs> oh, man, Shepard is looking down on me. With approval. I can feel it. I can just feel her right over my shoulder and she's just like... Yeah. I got you. N7. Time for a cleric candle today. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Unless you get some... Unless you really get some mileage out of... Unless you get some really... (laughs) Oh hey babe, what you eating over there? Mmm. I'm just having some of my... mm. Actually, hold on. Just keep it filming. <clears throat> oh, I kind of already said this. Well, uh, see, I need to kind of put a caveat in here. This lets us take two actions on our. Wow, you're really noisy. Whoever you are out there in the hall. Oh no, I need to recrunch numbers again. Rawr, 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 rawr.